it's taken me a long time to build this audience. It's taken a long time to find my voice. And so the, the ninja move really isn't that much of a ninja. It's a marathon. It's to recognize that you're following your purpose to connect with people to deliver value. And you do this day in and day out, week after week after week. And after a while, you will start to have that audience that people are paying attention to, that follow you, that value you. But I really don't think this is a shortcut. I think this is a journey and something that you got to be committed to. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another amazing episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm Nikki Ballou, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Michael Palmer. Say hello to the folks, Michael. Hello, everybody. We are super jacked and excited here today to have as our guest the one, the only, the epic and legendary Jeremy Miller. Jeremy is the author of the best-selling book, Sticky Branding. Jeremy has created a community around the sticky branding movement. And Jeremy is somebody who gets to do incredible amounts of speaking and training for phenomenal companies such as salesforce.com. And I'll tell you, he is somebody that I personally admired and learned a ton from. Jeremy, we are so excited to have you here in the studio today, my man. Well, thanks, guys. It is Absolutely a delight to be here. And also, I'm a huge admiring admirer of you two and what the work that you're doing with E-Circle and the thought leadership uh, space. This is incredible. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you, Jeremy. So, you know, Jeremy, one of the things that this podcast is all about is showing people how they can take the expertise that they have and be known for it out in the marketplace. And you have clearly done that in spades. You've actually taken that expertise and turned it into a very powerful and lucrative business. That is the essence of the business of thought leadership. Could you just go ahead right now and tell the folks exactly how it is that you've gone and done that? What are some of your like ninja moves that helped you get there? A lot of hard work and a lot of hustle. Uh, when you look at what it takes to build a platform, and in my case, uh, my social media network hits roughly 100,000 people weekly. So it has been, a, it reaches a, a fairly good audience. But the th thing is, it's taken me a long time to build this audience. It's taken a long time to find my voice. And so the, 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 the ninja move really isn't that much of a ninja. It's a marathon. It's to recognize that you're following your purpose to connect with people to deliver value. And you do this day in and day out, week after week after week. And after a while, you will start to have that audience that people are paying attention to, that follow you, that value you. Um, but I really don't think this is a shortcut. I think this is a journey and something that you got to be committed to. You know what? That's so true. That's absolutely brilliant. I, I've been reading a book lately called Grit, yeah. The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Dr. Angela Lee Duckworth. And what she says in that book is that grit beats talent every time. And what grit is, it's all about outlasting your fear. It's all about outlasting other folks in the marketplace by just going out there and having your message be clear and concise, and then just having it be out there. That's very, very powerful. So that's what you're saying is a big part of what's 
helped you get to where you are today as a thought leader. Exactly. It's funny. I had a chance to go back and read the blog post that I was writing in 2004 when I got started out. And they are cringeworthy. They are like reading essays that I wrote in university, talking around marketing and sales. And I'm looking at just how awkward and wooden it was. And it just, it didn't feel like me. But the thing is, is to recognize everybody starts somewhere. And and so you might not be happy with whatever you're producing right now, but what that really signals is you don't have the skill yet to fulfill what's in your mind or what your expectations are. And so this zero to a hundred concept really doesn't play well, at least in my mind for thought leadership, because you've got to develop the skills and the voice and the platform to reflect what you are capable of. You don't just start having mastery on day one. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, so, you know, I like where you're going with this, and I I also want to hear a bit of the backstory, and I think our listeners do. So I want to hear, you know, you've got a best-selling book, and and it's not just best-selling on Amazon for one second. It was best-selling ahead of Oprah on a very large publication here in Canada. You've got a massive, massive following on LinkedIn. You've got a massive list of people that are listening to you. Oh, it wasn't always this way. So tell us a little bit about where you started and how you even discovered this sticky branding and the discovery of this. I know the story, but I think it's super uh, interesting to have our listeners hear that as well. Sure. Well, I'm happy to share the story. So the way I got into thought leadership was I was essentially a sales guy who lost his competitive advantage. I had joined my family's business back in 2004. I'd been previously working in the software industry selling CRM solutions with a large company, and I joined my parents' recruiting company. And the first thing that I realized was we had a sales problem on our hands and we could see it in our numbers. What used to take my sales team a week to achieve was taking them a month. And more and more, we were relying on cold calling and push marketing and really hard selling tactics just to keep the funnel going. And it was a grind and it was painful and it was it was really demoralizing. And I remember getting to the end of that first year and, and sitting down with my parents at a Christmas party and saying, if this is what it's like to be in a family business, if this is what it's like to be in our business, I don't want to keep doing this. And I really got uh, a wake-up call in that meeting because my dad said, it's not about the business you've built, it's about the business you're building. And this was transformational for me in, in two ways because one, it allowed me to go down a new path, but it also allowed me to realize that what had made my family successful wasn't necessarily what's going to make me successful. So this triggered me down to a journey of rebranding my family's business, but also it got me into writing because I hate cold calling. I hate it with all my heart and passion. So I started a little email newsletter and it turned into a blog and then it parlayed itself onto being one of the local television stations, labor pundits. And it just kept growing from there. And where sticky branding came from was, was my succession plan. In 2007, I decided not to buy out my parents. And so we took the, the passion, the energy I had been investing into thought leadership and created a new company called Sticky Branding. And that, that pursuit of reaching more people, writing and communicating was really a big driver within all of this. Now, the key to this, though, is I think it's also within my DNA to want to be out there, to want to be on TV, to want to be on stage, to want to write, to do all these things. So I have been naturally compelled to do this, but it's been really out of 
business and out of my my situation that created opportunities to chase that energy and chase that passion. Yeah, and you you really applied that to your family business, which a lot of what you talk about, a lot of the techniques that you're using, you actually use them, prove them in in increasing the value of that business and and which was great for your family, which is completely honorable as well. But it launched a brand new business and and gave you a whole bunch of experiences that you could then share with the marketplace. Exactly. And what I found remarkable in this journey though is as you put content into the world, as you connect with people, you build build relationships, you build connections, you build followers. And the reason you point out in in, uh, the intro that my book was a bestseller and, and it actually, we sold out all the hard copies that were printed in the first four hours it was released. It blew everyone away. And what happened was all of those people that I had been connecting with for the previous 10 years, all those people that I had connected with on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and email and everywhere else, rallied around the book and rallied around me and supported the process. And so what I really believe, the reason why I believe in thought leadership so much is the more you are, the more generous you are, the more you give, the more people will support you and help you. And that reciprocity is really where your personal brand starts to ignite. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd really like to No, because obviously people listen to you. And that's a big part of being known is you have to have content and information and knowledge going out there that people can listen to, understand, and apply in their lives. So what do you think some of the things that you do that really make it easy for your listeners and your audience to understand you and actually be able to take what what you're talking about and apply it to their businesses? That's a great question. Uh, and I've never been asked that question before. So you put me on the spot for a moment. That's what we uh, like to do here, right, Nikki? 110%. So the way I'd respond to this is twofold. The first thing is the way I create ease for myself is I run on a schedule. So every week I have to produce content. And the blog as a specific element of this. It gets published at 5 a.m. on Tuesday. I don't care if I'm sick as a dog or anything else. It's got to go out the door because people expect it. I had a call this week with a reader who said, every 10 a.m. I get my email from you and I look forward to it. It's the thing that I'm expecting as my Tuesday hit of ideas. But that routine allows me to keep producing because I don't have to think about what do I have to create? I just know I have to create. The other piece to this though, is how do you create the value for the the listener or the reader? It's to listen to them and to connect with them that a lot of my inspiration comes from uh, working on projects with other people. It's to look at the challenges that not only I face in my business, but they face in their businesses. And as I come to answers, I like to write about it and I like to share it. And so the way I, I often look at my content is, is to essentially learn in public. Take the ideas that you're consuming and bring it to the world. And that learning mindset and that learning sharing is a, is a simple and effective way to uh, help other people at the same time. That's brilliant. So, Jeremy, one of the things that really, really impresses me about how you go about 
doing the business of your thought leadership and your thought leader practices, you leveraged your uh, expertise to build a following and a platform. You got yourself a book. The book went to real bestseller status, as Michael said, versus Amazon bestseller status. It's Amazon too. And, no, I got it, but but <laughs> but it's uh, it's a lot more credible because sure. it's it's out of Amazon too. Because everybody and their brother these days is an Amazon bestseller. Like if someone says that, I just tune out immediately. But if they say I'm a New York Times or Global Mail bestseller, I listen. I mean that means something still. Then on top of that, you leverage that to get speaking engagements. And not only that, you've gotten formal contracts with massive companies like Salesforce.com to, to be helping them do what they want to do out in the marketplace using some of your expertise and your ideas. Could you just get into how that transpired? What is it that allowed you to take that being known piece and turn it into commercialization in this fashion. And just walk us through the backstory as well while you do that. Got it. So several years ago, Seth Godin had a blog post out there talking about what it takes to be an author. And he had a quote that said, the best time to start publish or sorry, promoting your book is three years before it comes out. And he went on to say it's three years to create a following, three years to create a blog, three years to create credibility, three years to engage your marketplace. And so the reason why I created my LinkedIn group in 2010, which is now around 50,000 members, is was that quote. I said, I needed to build the audience and build the relationships and build the platform before the book came out. So the reason that I created a lot of my social media activities was based on that quote. And the way we grew the, that community was hustling. It was one connection at a time, one invitation at a time, one meeting at a time, bringing it in. And as we got a critical mass, it took on a life of its own. But the first 2,000 followers were people I went and recruited. Now, that's the starting point. The book, though, is what parlayed the speaking business. I would say I was an amateur speaker before January 2015 when my book came out. Up until that point, I had spoke regularly, I was paid sporadically, and I uh, did varying things. But I wouldn't quantify myself as a professional speaker. I would quantify myself as a speaker who marketed his services. What the book did was allowed me to have the credibility to be a professional keynote speaker. And so the book came out in January 2015. And over that next 12 months, till the beginning of this year, I did roughly 30 paid speaking engagements. Wow. And those engagements came through a combination of selling the book to companies and, and then asking, hey, do you need a speaker at your sales conference, your leadership conference, et cetera, going after associations and events, again, using the book as a, a, a tool to gain access. But it also brought in a lot of inbound marketing where conference organizers and event organizers were looking at who are the new hot authors and asking if I had the services for that. So to summarize, the uh, way I look at being a professional speaker and being paid to speak is you need a book and you need a traditionally published book and not a, a self-published book, but one that has an imprint on the back. That's the credibility. And the way to think about this is you're like a musician going on tour. You put out your album and then you go on tour to sing about it. The same thing happens in speaking. You need to be putting out a professional book every two to three years if you want to be in this game. Beautiful. Well said, man. That's powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. I learned a lot just from listening to you say that. So thank you so much. Here's the thing. 
now that you've gotten onto the speaking platform, you're doing more than just speaking though, right? You, you've got a, a contract, for example, with salesforce.com where you don't just do a one-of speaking conference once in a while. You go and you support some of their activities and events. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's more on the order of training almost uh, in, in addition to speaking, right? Uh, so just tell us how you leverage that speaking into like a multi-engagement contract. Sure. So the specific example with Salesforce is I love to evangelize Pardot, which is their marketing automation platform. And because of that, uh, we've got a relationship where they have me speak at their events, the Pardot events. They're called the B2B Visionary Series. And we do a dozen or so of those a year. So, for example, next week I'll be going to Tampa to do an event with them there. Nice. Now, it's not necessarily a contract. You got to keep performing. So you're ne- you're only as good as your last gig. So if uh, you you don't perform, you don't get asked back. So you got to keep delivering the value that d- drives the audience, and it's uh, it's a transactional model. Now, I think what you're you're asking within this question, though, is so roughly 50% of my revenue comes through speaking engagements, and that is speaking at conferences and corporate events. The other half comes through consulting engagements. And so that is corporations that are looking to grow their brand or their business to the next level. And the the two are um, the two support each other. So my clients, the, the corporate clients that I would say do consulting engagements with work on their brand strategies, their marketing strategies, are often people who see me speak at events. So I spoke at a conference, a uh, a good chunk of actually clients came from an event, one event I did last year that I spoke at a family business event. And uh, out of that came three or four consulting engagements. And that then gives me some recurring revenue and some long-term revenue, whereas the speaking are more hits, transactional. No, I got it. Well, you know what? Maybe I'm giving you an idea here is to go to some of these guys that are bringing you back multiple times. And and one of the things you can do is offer to give them a uh, a, a contracted base offering yeah. with uh, not just you speaking, but doing some training and so forth for some of their key people and bars and so on and so forth. Because that's one of the things that inside of um, the business of thought leadership, if you will, is to take that one mode of delivery that you have that's working really, really well and parlay that into into more. Parlay right. that into, into other things and doing that. So we could have an offline conversation what that could look like for you. But I just think the fact that you do so many of these for those guys means that that could be translated into ongoing uh, revenue. And uh, God, they obviously love you. So it's fantastic. It's a great idea. So I need to play with that. Yeah. So Jeremy, you know, we talk about selling in thought leadership and in the business of thought leadership. And you're not a big fan of cold calling. Uh, I don't know that there's many people who are except for Nikki Ballou. (laughs) (laughs) And so I want to know, like, but you are selling. And you, but what I love about what you've done is you've created this massive pipeline that are, you know, they're calling you and you're selling to them. But there's a few really key things you said there is that, you know, you're putting out a book every couple of years. I'm sure your next one's probably not that far away. But you have you are getting yourself out there in a way that requires selling. So I'm sure the listeners are interested in hearing what are your, how does it look for you to be selling yourself out there to the market? Like people just call up and say, listen, we want you to be in the speaker bureau. We want you to be speaking on our stage. You have to be nurturing those in some way. So share with us how that looks. So I spend a minimum 
a minimum of 25% of my time on sales. And this goes beyond my content creation and other things. So I believe that this is sacred time that can't be avoided. And my sales process is divided into two key channels. One is on the speaker side of the house, the other is on the consulting side of my house. And so I use salesforce.com as my CRM and I manage the two sales pipelines there. Now, Within the sales process, you've you've got the selling time going on, working on active prospects and leads, which is an ongoing uh, objective. And what I try to constantly refine is the value proposition and the messaging, because my goal is to be able to close a complex sale, anything from $10,000 to $100,000 in two weeks over two calls. I don't want to be going in through a long discovery process. So I'm constantly working on refining my value proposition so that I can achieve that. The other piece to this is just keeping the funnel full. And so I'm a big proponent of using marketing automation. And the way, and I'll give you a little example of this. So on the speaking side of the house, typically conferences are choosing their speakers between month nine and month six before the event. And so in that 90-day window, uh, actually it's not, that 60-day window is uh, realistically where I need to be proactive. So what I do is I have a database of all of the events and it's constantly be grown and developed. And we use marketing automation to be able to trigger both calling activities and email activities and other marketing activities to know when to engage these people and build that relationship so that we have a kick at the can because this space is so competitive that my view is that if you're not blowing your own horn, you're screwed. You've got to be out there jamming and hustling and selling every single day if you want to hit your quota. Well said. I think that everybody in should stop their car, pull over and write that down. It's like blow your own whore. You've got to put yourself out there. And that's a big part of what we admire and honor is and, and want to push our listeners to do is to be putting themselves out there, which can be uncomfortable uh, at times. Um, so I love what you're saying. And I'm, I want another piece on this. And I was listening to Content Warfare. It's a podcast that I just discovered. I'm absolutely loving it. I hope to have the host on our show. Uh, and he had a, a if guest. If you're listening, host, we want you on our show. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I, it's because it's so brand new. I don't have his name banked in my memory, but it's hard not to remember Content Warfare, the name of his podcast. And he had a guest on Marcus uh, Sheridan. Oh, yeah, today I was amazing. listening actually on the way here. And he was talking about, you know, you're putting yourself out there, which is uncomfortable at the best of times. But then when you start to put yourself out there and you have people actually noticing you and paying attention to you, you get a lot of rejection. People start to say, you're not, you're full of, you're full of it. So what is that? I'm sure you've experienced that. What has had you be able to deal with that side of the business where people are, you know, maybe saying, well, what gives you the right to be an expert on branding or whatever it is that, you, that you've been presenting? What's that been like for you? It's a daily struggle. Um, so the first way I handle it is the FM quality is uh, not as and thank an you for FM our radio. ITunes, thank you for our iTunes listeners that we could keep this uh, content clean. PG, yeah. <laughs> but it's truly that. It's screw this. I've written a best-selling book. I'm speaking at these conferences and events. I've done this volume of research. If you don't value what I have to say, I don't care. I'm moving forward because I know the clients that do care. And so the haters are going to hate. The trolls are going to troll. 
I got to keep moving and, and be really proud of the work that I've done. But it is, it comes up. What I find more uh, insidious, though, is jealousy. And this is something that I reel from from time to time because a good example of this is there was a speaking engagement that I desperately wanted. I worked on it so hard. I did all the sales process. I couldn't have done anything differently. But a good friend of mine got selected and I didn't. And I was furious. I was so happy for her because it's going to parlay into about a half a million dollars of work uh, following that engagement just because it's so high profile. But I was so jealous and so furious and blaming the people that I had helping support me and all this type of stuff. And I actually had to go and 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 knock my head around a little bit to say, what am I getting so frustrated with? Because in selling, the first thing we're taught is to learn to love no. And if you get a rejection, you got another year, you got another opportunity, you got another way to get back. But that jealousy thing, when that fire fuels you inside and you feel anger, I think you got to turn that around and, and use it in some way. And that's what I'm trying to do, but I'm human and it's hard. My competitive side just kicks in and it's just frustrated. Well, keeping it raw and real with Jeremy Miller right here, folks. So you know what I like that you said previously in response to one of Michael's questions? You said selling is sacred time. I so believe in that. And I think thought leaders the world over listening to this podcast need to imbibe this and put it inside their DNA. Selling is sacred time. Selling is the most important thing that any thought leader ought to do. And I love to hear you say that, my man. Talk more about how you honor and value sales. In what way? You know, one of the reasons you're successful, Jeremy, is because I know you sell. I know you get out there and like you said, you put at least 25% of your time to that. And that takes a respect, a healthy respect for sales and the power of sales to do that. So I want you to talk to us about how you do that, how you keep it so important, how you don't get into that mindset that so many thought leaders get into, which is, oh, I wish I could just deliver and never have to sell. Why is it that you, Jeremy Miller, as a top thought leader, value and honor sales and give it the respect that it deserves? I think the first thing to recognize is your purpose. And if you're a thought leader, then you need people to consume your content. And what you're selling at a very minimum level is attention. I think Gary Vaynerchuk says it the best. I'm selling you attention or I'm asking you to buy my attention from me. And I think the same is true that you're out there selling your blog, selling your podcast, selling your book, whatever it might be. And you have to honor that time to grow your audience. And a simple rule that I think of, uh, which isn't my own, but it's uh, another thought leader came to it, is every hour you cre- you spend creating content, spend two hours promoting it and connecting with other people. I love that. That is a great expert action step for later. So a one to two ratio is really powerful. But I also know that thought leadership on its own doesn't move the sales needle. So you have to have services. You have to have products. And quite frankly, I want to get paid. I want to get paid so I have freedom. I want to be able to travel and do those things. And so that is what drives me to keep selling. Now, I have an advantage, and and the three of us actually all have this advantage, is that we all started our careers as professional sales. Salespeople. And so we have that in our culture and our DNA to value this. 
but I do believe that you can learn the habits of selling. And so one of the books that I often recommend to anyone who is a rookie or new to this is an old book called How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. Oh, I love Tom Hopkins. He rocks, man. And he, you're not going to use the, the selling techniques. It's, it's old school, but the attitude, make one more call, learn to love, no. It's the behaviors of selling. So on my task list every single day, I have sales-related activities. It could be simply following up on a proposal. It could be making a prospecting call. It could be building a campaign. But there is something in my task list every single day, even when I'm traveling. I love that. That's so beautiful. You know, listener, if you're hearing what Jeremy's saying, this is super important. This is what's going to take you to the next level inside your thought leadership practice. It's absolutely brilliant and beautiful. Uh, You know, Jeremy, one of the things that I truly respect and admire about you is how raw and real you can be. I mean, what what you just revealed about yourself a few minutes ago around jealousy, that takes guts to do. Talk to us about how important that is for you as a thought leader and for other thought leaders listening to be themselves and be raw and real in how they express their thought leadership. I think that's a personal question, and it's a personal decision of how much you decide to reveal of yourself. And I think you have to choose the type of content you're you're looking at and the type of audience you're engaging with and what that connection is. In some cases, you're not necessarily going to reveal a lot of yourself. So for example, if you're in the wealth management category, and if you're trying to talk around market trends and the advisor, you might have a very clinical perspective and point of view that you don't talk about your family, you don't talk about your emotions. But you might be like the other extreme, Gary Vaynerchuk, who can't get through a sentence without dropping an F-bomb, is just another degree of raw. And so the short answer is, be yourself. The way you would talk to someone at a sales call or the way you would talk to someone at a cocktail party where you're just getting introduced to them is probably the closest thing to have in your voice. And if you're not the kind of person that reveals a lot of yourself, but you deliver a lot of value and people like you, then that's probably who you are. If you're the guy who is just the the center of attention and and dropping F-bombs like Gary Vee, that's who you are. So whoever you are, just try to push it out there. And if you can amplify it just a little bit, you'll you'll find it. I don't think you have to be raw to be uh, appealing. Agree. As long as you're real. I love it. I love it. Authenticity is a hard word to say, but it truly is. What is. What is the most comfortable you that you can bring to your content? Yeah. And I've been listening and watching a ton of uh, documentaries on famous bands. And how they, you know, their trials, their tribulations, and their their evolution. And what I've picked up, many, many things I've picked up from it, but one that's really related to what you're talking about is that they all have influences. You know, they start playing a song, and it's they're playing somebody else's song, and they're being like that other person. But the more they play, the more they get themselves out there, they find their true voice, their true sound. And that's the sound that captivates an audience, and that's what rockets them through to being known you know, in some of these cases, like internationally, globally, the whole works. And I, I think what the, the, the thing that we all need to take away from this is just keep on putting yourself out there and discovering and, and discovering how to be your unique, authentic self more often than not. Totally, 100%. 
So a couple of things that I want to mention. Number one, you know, you sharing the real situation, what you're really facing is a podcast episode that we did with Alex Charfrin, which is his whole message around you're not alone as an entrepreneur. Like Nikki and I, you, you know, your experiences, we're all having the same experience. Every listener that we're having is having the same experience. Know that you're not alone is a, is a very valuable piece. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it's fantastic. I recommend that you do. And you can go to the Business of Thought Leadership and find all of our episodes there as well as on iTunes. The other bit though is I've known you for a long time, Jeremy, and where you are today, you know, you, you're very polished. You're a great speaker. You came and spoke at our event where we had, you know, a really big crowd of thought leaders in there, you know, some really successful people, and you nailed it. And I mean, people were like, we want him back. We loved him. So I know that I, I'm not surprised that you get a lot of demand for your speaking, right? But you did a lot of work and a lot of things to get yourself there. Share with the listeners the hard work and the training and the coaching and the, the different things that you've done. I know you did um, Second City training. Like you've been working at getting yourself to be more authentically Jeremy for a, a long time. Michael has seen me when I've sucked. Uh, <laughs> well, you've never that's sucked. A, that's a technical term. <laughs> yeah. You've uh, never sucked. But I've had those moments where I have not been what I hoped to be on stage. I remember very distinctly my third time on television. When you go into TV and you're doing your 90 little second spots, you go in with a script and you have the questions that you're going to be asked. And I, I just remember this was on CP24 and Ann Romer went off script. And her first question was, so Jeremy, why are you here today? And I was like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know how to handle it. I just started verbally unloading onto the microphone. And you're in this little black room. You can't see anyone. There's a light and there's a mic in your ear. And, and so you're not talking with this person. You're just simply talking to a camera. And I panicked and I just verbally unloaded. And I don't know what happened. It was 90 seconds. All I can distinctly remember was the producer getting in front of me, in front of the camera and waving her hand in a circle, basically signal, you're done. And I was devastated. And I got into that meeting and I was so embarrassed. I hope nobody saw it. And I know a lot of people had seen it because I broadcast the crap out of it that I was going to be on TV. <laughs> I love this story. Um, but I was just heartbroken. And it was funny. Nobody else knew that I'd panicked and freaked out, but I was so hard on myself. And one of the ways I look at this is it's like sports. When you have an accident, when you screw up, when you fall, you have a choice. You can quit. Or you can go and, in my case, skiing, I'll go back to the top of the hill and try it again. And so what I did is I went back uh, and tried it again. But before doing that, I went and got coaching. So I hired a guy by the name of Mark Bowden. His website's truthplane.com. Love Mark Bowden, yep. Unbelievable. And so he taught me how to handle and think on my feet. And so he was instrumental in that. But I've also had other coaches. I hired Andrea Sampson, who is the current co-chair of TEDx Toronto. And so she's helped me in, in developing content and developing my speaking abilities. I've had coaches and educators that have supported me along the way. And the reason for that is I look at speaking and I look at writing and I look at thought leadership as a craft. And you will never get good if you're just trapped inside your head. So how do you find the people that have been there that can help you, that will make you great? And I don't even think I'm at where I want to be right now. I'm still uh, seeking that knowledge. But that learner's mindset is also what's propelling me to get to bigger platforms, to better audiences, to higher fees. 
You know, that's one of the shifts. Uh, Nikki runs a, a, a webinar and we talk about the five shifts that you need to make mentally in order to be a thought leader that's going to make, uh, you know, 500,000 plus a year. And one of them is your willingness to invest in yourself. And you're clearly a person who's done that. And thanks for sharing that. I think there's a lot to be taken. It's getting coaching around your speaking, getting coaching around your your writing, getting coaching around how you handle your body language on stage. All of these things are just a few that you've shared with us about making yourself the very best that you can. And it's always going to get better. And we've heard that. You want to continue to get yourself better, but it's to continue that forward and again and again and again. Never stop learning. Never stop investing in yourself. There's got to be a formula for the correlation between how much you invest and how much you make in yourself. And obviously, you want to invest correctly, right? Absolutely. There, well, there is a, a, a correlation between I me. Mean, Robin Sharma said at an event that we were at earlier this year, Michael, that for every $10 you invest in yourself, right, you're going to generate something like $50 back at least. And he said that if you want to double your income, triple your investment in yourself. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, this is fantastic. This, this has been an absolutely rock star episode. Jeremy, man, we, you know, one of the things we do at the end of every episode is we ask our expert to give us three expert action steps that are really about amplifying this formula, which is that the business of thought leadership is all about you becoming known for your expertise out there in the marketplace. So what are your three expert action steps that you would say our listener needs to partake so that they can become known in the marketplace for their expertise and be at the top level of thought leadership? Great question. Great thinking. So uh, number one, bet on yourself. When I, The reason Sticky Branding is a number one Global Mail bestseller is I spent $18,000 on public relations. And uh, I spent a ton on marketing and effort and a ton on selling. The thing that was fascinating with that is I got my royalty check last uh, month and it was like $2,700. So the book business doesn't make a lot of money, but it made so much on speaking. So first off, bet on yourself, invest in yourself. Number two is, um, is if you don't blow your own horn, nobody will. You've got to get out there. It's not only bet on yourself, but it's, it's take the time and the effort to promote your contents. That two to one ratio. Every hour you spend on create, spend two hours on promotion and distribution. And I think the third thing I, I would recommend for everybody today is to keep refining. Uh, for me, branding isn't about logos and taglines and colors. Branding is about the relationship you have with your customers. And the market will often tell you what they want to buy, what they want to consume. And so what I am looking at is your brand, whether it's your business brand or your personal brand is a journey. You're constantly refining. You're constantly polishing the stone. And so the more that you can keep on working on this, the more it will pay back in dividends. I love it. That's fantastic. And look, Jeremy, you know what? You're such a modest guy that you haven't told people, you know, about your book and how they can get your book and how they can go onto your website and get some of your great content. So I'm going to just promptly do that for you. So Jeremy, take a minute now, tell people how they can go pick up a copy of your book and go onto your website and engage with your content, your community. 
Thanks, Nikki. Well, it's that Canadian in me. You got to be humble, right? Uh, so best way to find me is Google Sticky Branding. You'll find my website, stickybranding.com. I highly encourage you to blow my own horn to subscribe to the weekly email newsletters and updates. If you want best practices, ideas, and inspiration of what I'm thinking about right now, you'll get that. So sign up for the email. And the book's available everywhere. It's on Amazon, Indigo, Barnes & Noble. It's ebook. It's hardcover. You choose. And if you do pick up a copy of it, shoot me an email. And uh, my email is jeremy at stickybranding.com. And what I'll send to you is a sticky branding workbook. And it's a companion guide for the book that includes additional tools and resources to use at the end of each chapter. I How cool that. is that? I love that. The Listener, if you're a subscriber to the Business of Thought Leadership uh, podcast, not only do you have the opportunity to learn from Jeremy by listening to this podcast, but you're getting a gift that's not available if you just go into the store and buy the book. You can send a personal email to Jeremy Miller, and Jeremy's going to send you one of his incredible workbooks to help you use the concepts that he's teaching you and it'll take your thought leadership to the next level. Man, Jeremy, thank you so much, brother. Thank you. And you know what? I'm going to amp that up because I love what you've done. I love the gifts. And I'm going to amp it up. I'm going to say this, is that if you, listener, go to the Business of Thought Leadership and find on their free book and you sign up and become a subscriber on iTunes of the Business of Thought Leadership and leave us a review, Go there, put that information, and we're going to send you free. No postage, no nothing, no credit cards, none of that. We're going to send you Jeremy's book. That's what we're going to do. We're going to buy Jeremy's book. We're going to send it to you because we're going to honor his thought leadership. We're going to honor you as a listener, and thank you for helping us get our name out there. And reviews really help to bring us up in the, in the listings and the charts. So if you're listening to this for a limited time, Go out there. We will send out that book for Jeremy. I'm going to put that up right away. So do that now. Go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Go to iTunes. Subscribe. Start listening to some of the other episodes. Leave us a review. And be honest, we, we, we're not saying, hey, leave us a five-star review. Leave no, us- we are saying leave us a five-star <laughs> review. Absolutely, we are. <laughs> we, we would love it if you did, but honestly, do whatever it is that, uh, that you really feel. And, uh, and again, Jeremy, some some super gold that you gave us today. I really personally thank you. I know you're destined for for some really great things. Success leaves clues. I I subscribe to a lot of things that you're you're doing, your newsletter that you've spoken about. So people, listeners, if you want to start to look at success, look at what Jeremy's doing, look how he's writing his blogs, how he's done his book. What he's how he's promoting himself. You can learn a lot from someone who's there, who's successful, and uh, and I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more from Jeremy in time to come. So, Jeremy, my man, thank you again for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you again for the offer of the gift, and uh, it's just been a real pleasure and delight to have you on the podcast. And we're really looking forward to the listeners to this podcast getting your wisdom and being able to benefit from it. So, thank you. Well, guys, thank you, uh, Nikki, Michael. What you do is remarkable, and it's just an honor for me to be on the other side of this chair and participating in your community. And I think keep up the mission, keep up the work and the thought leadership you do because you're empowering the next generation. Oh, you bet. Thank you, Jeremy. Top shelf, brother. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. 
Thank you for listening. 